outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 48. Today in the show, we're examining the variables that factor into the big buck equation. And whether you like math or not, I think you'll enjoy this week's episode. Right. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. And today, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be diving into the different pieces of the puzzle that add up to success killing big, mature bucks. But before we get too deep into the weeds, my friend, Mr. Dan Johnson, how are you today? I'm having a bad hair day today, Mark. A bad, you, you don't have a whole lot of hair, so how's that possible? It's just it's not doing what I want it to. I don't know what to say, except I'm having a bad hair day. I uh, I typically look really cool with my hair, and, and now <laughs> and now it's just not what I want it to do. And I looked in the mirror today, and I'm like, that dude is a gomer. So, <laughs> so usually when I see you, you're wearing a ball cap. Yeah. Now I was over it. I was hanging out with you two weekends ago in Iowa, and you were wearing no hat, and mm-hmm. you're doing this kind of slicked over wet hairstyle kind of the comb over maybe like a like don draper from Mad Men-esque type deal okay is, I'll is take that, that is that well i'm not saying you actually look like that i'm saying that's what you're going for okay <laughs> is that is that the bad hair day challenge today you're trying to get that and it's not working well no i don't know it's just you know sometimes you look at yourself in the mirror and you go damn that guy's hot <laughs> and, uh, I, you've been there before you've been there before mark you know, I don't know if I've ever gone that far. <laughs> okay, damn, that guy's handsome. All right, and today I'm just not feeling it. I just don't have that. I don't have that feel. But I tell you what, tomorrow I'll have it back and I'll go on with my life. Good, good. I hope you get that self confidence back. You need that. Mm-hmm. You need that. Um, well, that's good. I uh, I haven't had a bad hair day. I've been wearing a hat today, so yeah. got away without that one. But otherwise, things over here have been 
hectic and busy, but good. good. Um, so that's all good. I got, uh, my, I ordered a sleeping bag for our Western trip and it came in the mail today. So I'm pretty pumped to, nice. uh, I think this weekend I might actually sleep underneath my deck in it to test it out. <laughs> under your deck? Yeah, under my deck. Like, is your deck up on, like, up high, I'm hoping? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a second story deck. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm not going to be, like, gremlin and out in the <laughs> <laughs> underneath of, in this dirt pile, basically. Right. Interesting. What's yeah. your wife think about this? I haven't told her yet, so... She really doesn't care. She's 33 weeks pregnant, so she really doesn't want anything to do with me. So she wants you out of the house? Yeah. So if I feel like I want to rough it out in the backyard, she'll probably have no problem with it. Cool, man. Well, do that, and I really want to hear how that goes. Yep. (laughs) Oh, hey, did you hear about – did you hear the news? What's the news? Outdoor Life just lost a whole bunch of credibility. Oh, yeah? How's that? Yeah. They put some guy on the cover, and he told his story about what he does. I don't know, man. I heard bad things about that guy. Pretty A pretty lame story, huh? Yeah, just a lame story. <laughs> yeah, so you saw, huh? Yep. It's, uh, congratulations. That's pretty cool, man. Thank you, man. For, uh, for those listening that don't know what we're talking about, I had the, the crazy good fortune of being – featured in the cover story for the April issue of Outdoor Life magazine. And uh, so they they interviewed me all about Wired to Hunt and what I do and how I make a living doing this. And then they put my ugly mug on the front cover of the magazine. Pretty Perfect. pretty crazy. Yeah, that, now that makes uh, that makes two of us on the cover of magazines. What magazine were you on the cover of? Bear Monthly. Bear monthly, yeah, but it's spelled B A R E. Are you? Is this for real? No, it's not for Cause, real. Because honestly, I wouldn't be surprised, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, if you ever do pull that off, let me know. I will. Yeah. I will. But the stuff with outdoor life's been pretty awesome. If you haven't cool. got a chance, uh, take a look at the April issue of the magazine turned out pretty cool um shared a little bit of insight into you know how this whole thing got up and started and there's actually uh from what i understand there's going to be an extended edition of that article available online at some point soon so whenever that becomes available i'll link to it um and we're actually going to be talking about a topic related to this next week um knock on wood unless something changes um we'll have andrew mckean of outdoor life magazine joining us on the podcast next week to talk about making a living in the outdoor industry. Um, cool. So we'll talk about my experience, your experience, Andrew's experience, and um, look at some of the people that Andrew and his team talked to um, for their April issue in which they featured, I think, six different people who make a living in the outdoor industry. So it should be pretty interesting. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. So all that said, there's a, a lot of deer-related things that we need to be talking about this week, so we should probably kick into that pretty quick here. Um, yeah, we got a lot to cover. Yeah, I, you know, as always, we probably won't get, even get close to touching every topic that we want to talk about because it always seems that one topic leads into another and it just snowballs until we're, we're like, oh, man, no one wants to listen to an eight-hour podcast. <laughs> it's true. I think um, so we've had people ask for two hours, but eight hours, that's that's going to be a little bit a little bit long. So, right, right. <laughs> um, 
what we want to talk about today, Dan, uh, was actually an idea that you brought to me, um, which was talking about you know the big buck equation, everything that goes into you know, an opportunity at killing a big mature buck. Um, but before we dive into our two different thoughts on what are the pieces of that equation, I do have to give an update related to a big buck and, oh, yeah. um, and a story I've been sharing with the listeners and with the readers of the blog for a long time. Uh, as you know, Dan, and as many of you listening probably already know, the story of Jawbreaker that we've covered extensively, um, the hunt for the buck Jawbreaker that I've been after over the past two years, that story now has an ending. Uh, last weekend, you know, as we talked about last week, I headed down to my Ohio property to shed hunt. And within like less than five minutes, literally we got to the property. I, we dropped down in this draw right at the front of the property. And within just a couple minutes of walking, boom, he was there. Um, so that was pretty crazy. Um, so I know it's not, it's not the way that you wanted it to go down. Obviously you didn't find him at the end of your blood trail, you know, after you shot him, but, but here's the, here's the way that I look at it. Yeah. There's probably some suffering on the animals part, but from a hunter, you didn't get the meat out of it. That sucks. But you were the reason that buck died. So in some glimmer you know, glimmer of hope, I would say that it didn't go down how you planned, but the result kind of, kind of at the end is the same. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to shortchange the, the responsibility I feel Mm -hmm. for the way that that animal died. Um, because I, you know, I think you is I know you feel the same way that it's our responsibility as a hunter to when we hunt an animal, hunt and kill an animal, to do it in the most ethical, quick and um, you know, uh, responsible way. And as you mentioned, you know, this did not go the way that I would have wanted. My shot didn't hit where I wanted it to, and so um, inevitably, you know, most likely, you know, this buck didn't die quickly. Um, and I, I feel awful about that and that's not what you want to do. And that's not ever what you want to see happen. And, um, you know, walking up on the buck's remains, um, when I saw him there, I definitely, you know, the first thing I thought was like, holy smokes, this jawbreaker. And then it was, I just felt really sad. Um, you know, I'm really, I was glad to have found him to have that closure, but at the same time, um, you know, without getting too sappy about it, um, yeah, I take hunting very seriously and I take, animals and wildlife and, and, and all of that very seriously. Um, and I respect the animals so much. Yeah. Um, and to see, you know, what was left of Jawbreaker, you know, a year ago, you know, two years ago when I first saw this animal, uh, he was just the biggest, most impressive deer I'd ever seen while hunting in my life at that point. Um, he, I just remember spending an hour and a half standing in the tree stand, watching him slowly work his way down the edge of the soybean field towards me. And the whole time just thinking, wow. I mean, he was just everything you imagine when you think of a big mature buck. Massive body, just rippling muscles and like his fat and muscle on his shoulders and neck kind of swinging back and forth. And to see that animal reduced to, you know, what was just a curled up body, um, just it was just the bones. It was just a spine and legs and the antlers. um, You know, that isn't what you want to see. And I was very disappointed how that happened. But it happened 
Um, and I think the big thing is that I, you know, I'm learning something from this. I know um, there were things that could have, as we talked about before, there were things I could have done better. Uh, at the same time, you know, I did the best I could in that moment, and the shot didn't go the way I planned. Uh, it happens to everyone eventually if you hunt long enough. So, you know, we've talked about all that. I've come to terms with all that. Um, so now finding him, it, like you said, in the end now it's 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 closure. I'm glad to have found him. And there are positives to take from the circumstance. You know, I've learned a lot. Um, and, you know, the jawbreaker story is done, but it's going to be something that I will always remember, you know, what I learned from this. And uh, I'll always remember that deer. And now that I've, you know, found his skull and antlers, um, I'll have a way to memorialize this animal that was a pretty impressive animal and a pretty important animal in my kind of evolution as a hunter. So I'm excited to be able to see that deer every day when I walk into my office and think back on this whole season, this two years, and, and really all these things that happened over the past few months related to it. Um, and hopefully, you know, we'll, sh we'll be able to um, memorialize that deer in a way that, that does him justice and, and uh, respects the deer and everything that kind of he represented for me in this period as a hunter. Um, so I don't know that I could, you know, I've got all sorts of mixed emotions about it. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, I, I kind of figured that he probably did die. And based on that assumption, the best case scenario, assuming he's died was that I'd be able to find him and mm -hmm. which I did. So for that, I'm, I'm thankful. And, uh, and now, you know, and that's can... part of it, you know, yeah. as hunters, we have to accept the fact that there may not, there may be times where things go quote unquote wrong and you don't have an ideal shot. You don't have an ideal uh, blood trail. You don't find the deer. You find, you know, you end up finding the deer like what you've, what you've done. I've, over my hunting career, I can say that I have shot four deer and have not recovered them. Uh, two, one was a 210 inch buck. The second one was 170 inch bucks a buck and the other one were, were two does. Now I know for a fact, I shouldn't say that. I know pretty strongly that the does didn't make it, but where they went and where they hid, I don't know the bucks. They, they ended up surviving, but it's one of those things, man. You just, you have to, you have to be prepared to handle situations like that. If you're going to be a hunter, because you know, the, the saying, if you haven't missed a deer or you haven't, if you've shot a deer and haven't recovered a deer, you, you haven't been hunting long enough. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a bitter reality of what we do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's two things. Number one, realizing what you just said there, that's just a fact of the matter. If you do this long enough, it does happen. Um, and you need to look, you know, be able to come to terms with that. But then I think number two, which should be something we're thinking about before it ever happens. And of course, after it happens is the fact that it is our, it's our responsibility. Yep personally to do everything we possibly can in our preparation in our execution to minimize that happening so right you know before this ever happened i'd never wounded a buck before and but i was still practicing with my bow all the time practicing with my gun all the time i really thought i was prepared um, made sure i felt i could make an ethical clean kill on an animal and even though i'd worked so hard to make sure i could do that i still made mistakes and it still yep. didn't happen exactly as i planned so now afterwards, I can still look back on this and say, okay, yeah, you did a lot of work, a ton of preparation. You were ready, but X went wrong. And now I have you know, see a new opportunity that I can prove even more. And so I think, you know, the important for all of us, 
most anyone listening probably has had something like this happen or will in the future. And I think the important thing to take away from it and what I took away from it is, you know, always look, and you say this all the time, Dan, it's always look at a situation and what can you learn from it? How can you grow from it? And I think, um, for me, it's, it's just uh, another important and it's kind of a grim reminder of how important it is to always continue practicing and preparing and improving and never get comfortable. Um, you know, what we do is a really serious thing. We're not throwing a basketball into a hoop. Uh, we are going out there and we are killing animals and eating them and we're taking a life and, and you better take that very seriously and you better not be um, playing around like it's a game. It's a very serious thing that I think it's important. Yes, we enjoy it. It's a passion, but it's something that's serious. And so I think you should take it seriously. I agree 100%. So I think that's out of the way. Um, but I'm glad you found him. You're going to get him Euro mounted. So that's an interesting question. Um, I was planning on getting him Euro mounted. Um, and then I had a lot of friends reaching out to me about it. A lot of people from Wired Hunt, a lot of friends talking, you know, why not really do that buck justice the way he was when you first saw him? Um, and I had a friend offer me a cape if I wanted to do that with a, with a shoulder mount. Oh, cool. Um, so I thought about it for a long time and wasn't sure what I wanted to do and, and what the right thing to do was. But so many people encouraged me to to do that that it started it, it made sense. This was a buck that I've got an incredible story with um, that meant so much in kind of my evolution as a hunter um, that, you know, was the biggest buck I've ever gotten a shot at that I did get a shot at and did kill and did recover. And, um, it's a, it's a buck that I'll, you know, remember my entire life because of everything that went into it. Not to mention, shoot, the story of Jawbreaker is actually featured in the magazine article that Outdoor Life wrote about, wrote about me. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a buck that'll stick with me forever. So, you know, why wouldn't I do that buck justice and, and kind of put him in all of his glory once again in that way? So that's what I think I'm going to do. Um, so it, it'll be cool to see kind of Jawbreaker uh, come back to life in some way. Um, I think that's the plan. Cool. Yeah. Cool. cool. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but that uh, was quite an experience, quite a uh, couple-year hunt for this deer. And, uh, you know, on to uh, – on to the next adventure. On to the next one. Yeah. So with that uh, being the case, we're talking about what all the different pieces are that lead up to success hunting big mature bucks, the big buck equation. Right. Um, and you you know, brought this to me as an idea based on our conversation that we had last week a little bit. So I want to kind of first get your thoughts on what made you think about this. What, what are your thoughts on what this means and what are we going to talk about? And then we can start diving into what each of our individual thoughts are on what the different parts of the P, uh, of the equation are that can lead to success. So uh, what do you think about all that? So what, here's what I was thinking. All right. So there is no guaranteed way to kill a big buck. All right. One plus one, does not equal big buck all the time. There are things that I think I feel hunters can do to increase their odds of a big, you know, getting a big buck. And, you know, first, you know, we'll get to that this here in a second, but first we have to define what a big buck is. And that's different for every hunter. Now, what I was, the reason this kind of popped into my head was I was thinking, okay, you have someone like Dan Infault who grew up hunting public land all right, who 
does a ton of work, spends a ton of time, and is getting he's he's on public land. It's pretty, you know, high pressure public land. And then you got and he's very successful at what he does. And then you have someone like um I'm trying to think of a you know, let's say your your local your local celebrity deer hunter who has thousand acres public or private land, tons of food plots, very well managed for a high age class and uh and and they're successful hunting in their way. So so this got me thinking about all these different, you know, and I, I kind of broke it down into these categories of will this category increase or decrease and it kind of just spite you know increased or decreased my my chances of getting a quote unquote big buck and then it just kind of uh, spider webbed all into all these different other categories that could be affected by that category if that makes sense so that's when i called you i'm like i think we we could have a conversation about this now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill i had that when i was a little kid and it was a big deal Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go. But here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you did too because I think it's an interesting, you know, we we talk about all sorts of different things on the podcast here related to this. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know... I think that you can, um, oh gosh, what's the word here? You can kind of drill down to a few basic concepts that, all, yeah. that it, there's, there's some basic elements that lead to right. success. And then there's a million different little pieces and details and ideas and strategies that fall underneath all these things. Yep. But if you kind of simplify it and look at the basic 
couple parts of the equation, it can really help you start focusing your priorities and your time when you're starting to do the work that you can lead to success. Um, so I do want to make one personal disclaimer. You know, you're talking about, uh, you know, how to kill a big buck. Right. And this is something, and this is nothing against what you're saying. But for me personally, I've personally been trying to steer away from the idea of, of trying to hunt big bucks, even though that's what, I, that's what we're doing, right? I'm targeting big deer, but I'm yep. trying to look more. It's, it's the fact that they're mature deer is what makes me interested in these deer. They are by default big. And if there is yep. a maturity, if there's two mature deer and one of them's bigger um, or more unique or whatever, is there'll be certain reasons why I'll be more interested in targeting a specific deer. Um, but I think that a lot of things we're going to be talking about here, the all these different uh, variables, most of these apply to killing a mature deer because um, a bit, and we'll probably talk about this right when we talk about what make what qualifies as yep, a big buck. Exactly. Um, and that's kind of where we're going to take this next. But I think. Um, Right. It's the age class deer, which makes these deer different. So, for example, you know, when you and me are talking about hunting these deer and how they're so difficult four, five, six year old deer, a four or five or six year old deer that's very difficult to hunt in some places might only be 110 inches and, you know, 180 pounds. But he could be a smart old deer that is a great challenge to hunt. Now, on the same, on the other side, you could have a two-year-old in Iowa that scores 135 inches or something that, that some people would say, wow, it's a big deer, but he might be really easy to hunt. Um, so I think for me, and this is different for everyone, I totally understand that, and that's okay. For me, when I'm looking at this equation, I'm looking at it as the big mature buck equation. That's what it is for me. Everyone's different, but that's something that, that I'm thinking when I'm putting the, my ideas out here on this topic, that's where my head's at. And I think it's the very same for you. Yeah. Um, but and, and when I say big buck, it's in, it's in quotations. And, yeah. and, and I think what we'll do is we'll just get right into it right now. What defines a big buck? Because I think marketing and the, the quote unquote hunting industry had puts a lot of value or emphasis on the size of the rack. When myself and you, just because it's a it's a big rack doesn't necessarily mean that it would it would land on our on our hit list, so to speak. I mean, it, from from my personal experiences, I've passed a 150 inch 10 uh, pointer that was oh probably a th- I, I'm guessing it was a three year old 150 between 140 and 150 inch 10 pointer that was a three year old. All right. It's one of the biggest bucks I've ever passed. But because he had a small body and he wasn't mature, he got the pass. So now you or somebody hunting in, um, you know, New York or Pennsylvania or even Michigan for that matter, that, you know, holy cow, that's a big buck. So first you, the listener, whoever's listening to this, has to define what a big buck is. Now me and you, we're defining that by age class by body size and and then the rack is is basically the cherry on top of you know i know because my if he makes it through this winter and i already have trail camera pictures of him i have a deer that's going to be seven or eight years old um huge body i call um some people may know his name his name's ryan eiberg named after my buddy that buck isn't going to score 140 inches but he has a gigantic body and he is probably going to be, I don't even know, a seven-year-old this year, I think, seven-year-old buck this year. 
and he's going to be very high on my hit list. Yeah, he's an awesome deer. I think I think you make a really important point here. I think I would at least if I'm writing the, if I'm taking notes here, I'd say this is the first variable in the equation. It would yep. be um, realistically define big buck for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like you said, it's different for everyone. And I actually, um, not to harp on this too much, but in this uh, outdoor life issue that we just talked about, um, there's this, not only is there a story about me, but there's actually my first article I've ever had published in the print edition of Outdoor Life is in that issue. And it's underneath, um, I think the topic is the new rules of whitetails or something like that. Um, and it's kind of taking a look at how, um, you know, how things are changing a little bit in the deer hunting world. And one of my contributions to that piece, I uh, was talking about, you know, setting realistic expectations. Right. And how, you know, as you mentioned earlier with the hunting media and, you know, to a degree we are, you know, we're lumped into that category too, because we talk about big bucks all the time on the podcast and on the blog and everything. But in general, there's so much media now today that shows pictures of huge deer and, and shows videos of huge deer. And we've got Lee and Tiffany and Mark and Terry Drury and everyone, whoever else out in Iowa and Kansas, and they're killing massive, big, huge deer, which is great. That's fine. But then you've got a guy who lives in Florida or Georgia or Pennsylvania and they see these deer and they start thinking, well, if I want to kill a big deer, which everyone else is doing, I need to be shooting 170 inch buck or 200 inch buck or 150 inch buck. And that might not be realistic where you hunt or where you live or given your limitations with time or whatever it is. So I think, um, excuse me, I think it's important for all of us, you, me, everyone listening to, you know, be realistic about, you know, what, what you're trying to accomplish, what your goals are, what is available where you hunt um, and then, and then be okay with that. Set that realistic goal. It doesn't need to be antler size. You don't need to kill a 160 inch buck like Lee Likoski. Um, if you're killing a four year old buck in Pennsylvania, that's 115 inches or 110 inches, that's incredible too. So, um, in this article I wrote, I interviewed Neil Doherty, who's a whitetail consultant and he's been in a lot of magazines and uh, just a, a great whitetail hunter and an expert in the topic. And he's worked with tons of whitetail hunters and managers all over the country. And something he said, um, he said two things that I think really stuck with me that I mentioned in that piece. Um, number one, instead of, you know, just setting your goals based on antler size, which are so variable based on location, instead try to set goals based on where you hunt and like a uh, tiers. So if you hunt in Michigan and you can only hunt in Michigan, try to find out what the top 25% of bucks being killed in your area are. Maybe you can do that by looking at record books or looking at uh, talking to a wildlife biologist, whatever it is. If you want to challenge yourself to start shooting better, bigger, more mature bucks, look at what that top tier is in your area, your top 25% or top 10%. Figure that out. And maybe in your area, that's a 110 inch buck. Maybe in your area, that's a five-year-old buck that's 150, but whatever it is or whatever criteria you're interested in, look at what it is in your area that you can hunt and then try to set goals based on that. Um, That's a more realistic way to go about it, which is one of his ideas and something I think makes a lot of sense. And when I first got into deer hunting a long time ago, um, and I, and I actually told a guy that I passed, uh, um, I hadn't, I hadn't shot a buck yet, uh, with my bow and I passed like a 120 incher and, uh, I was probably about, oh, 18 years old or something. Well, I was closer to 16. I passed 120 incher and the guy goes, why did you pass that? Why'd you pass him? And I said, well, because he's not mature. 
And he goes, have you killed a buck before? And I said, no, just does. He's like, you need to, you should, you should go up in levels, kill that 120 incher. Then the next year, try to kill something in the 130s. Then the next year, you know, always try to go a little bit bigger. And then, you know, you can say, hey, I've got a couple bucks under my belt. You know, that is if you're concerned with score, you know, and then later on in my evolution of hunting is when I started throwing age class into it. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's uh, so important too. Um, when it comes to this whole goal setting idea, I think it's awesome to push yourself and I'm always pushing myself, you know, when it comes to hunting, you know, a big part of the reason why I, I target mature deer is that I, I want that challenge, right? I, I'm, I'm, First and foremost, I'm acquiring food and sustenance for my family and myself. But why I then target older deer is because, right, I've I've mastered the ability to kill a doe or a young buck, but I want to get deeper into it. I want to better understand the animals. I want to challenge myself as a person, as a hunter more. And, and to do that, I can then target um, a more difficult animal to hunt, which is these older, more mature deer. Now, that's a choice that you know I've made personally, but it's because I've I've worked my way up to that point. And to your point, I think it's really important for everyone listening, especially younger people who are maybe just getting into it, um, or no matter what your age is, if you're just getting into hunting, don't worry about what you see everybody else doing. Because on TV, everyone's shooting big, mature deer. Don't worry about that. Like you, like you said, Dan, it's one step at a time. Um, I, I've always thought of it as like a ladder. So you take one step on the ladder. Don't try to, Don't try jumping towards the top rung. You're going to miss it. You're going to fall on your face. Take one step at a time and don't feel bad about doing that. You know, you got to start someplace and you need to start building those experiences someplace and you need to build up to whatever your end goals are. Um, and so I think that would be, you know, variable number two, at least in my book, I'd say, you know, take it one step at a time. Sure, I've, I've defined my realistic goals and now, you know, be okay with taking it one step at a time. I don't need to jump to, I don't need to, what's the super cheesy, well, I don't have any super cheesy sayings. Um, take it one step at a time. There you go. So, so now that we've defined what what you or me or Mark or whoever it considers a big buck, now we have to find that big buck, right? We have to spend time and and try to find our goal. Um, we can't just you know there there's steps that need to be taken uh, to uh, to get to your goal. Yes. So what's, uh, what do you think is your first step, Dan? From your perspective, what's that first step that we should be talking about here? Well, you know, they, they all are kind of on, a, on an even level. But I, I want to start off with time. Okay. Okay. And time can be, tra- you know, you can, you can look at time a couple of different ways. You can look at it as part of the, the, the age structure of a buck. You got to let a buck get to um, a certain age or – if you're only a trophy hunter, a certain antler size, you know, and the only way to get bigger bucks is to let them get old. You know, if you want a big antler buck, you got to let them get to maturity. All right. So because, you know, myself and you, we're focused on age class. We want to get, we want to get our bucks to the magic, you know, my magic number is four and a half years old. All right. And are you, are you, were you at three and a half or what are, what are your, what's your point of view on that? So for me, it's a little bit different depending on where I'm hunting. Yep. Um, so in Michigan, I would probably still harvest a three-year-old um, okay. because those sons of guns are pretty tough to find here. Yep. Um, but I am now 
targeting elsewhere in other states, I've decided um, it's going to be four-year-olds or older because um, I've had an opportunity now to kill a handful of those, and uh, I'm ready to focus just on those. Perfect. Perfect. All right, so now we've, t- we've talked about the time it takes for a deer to get to maturity. Now, as you know and as I know, you don't walk into the woods and kill a quote-unquote big buck or a mature deer. There is a ton of things that have to be done to make it to make it easier. All right. So and to increase those odds. So, you know, right now we do our shed hunting. We do our, you know, in the spring we do our trail, you know, we start our trail cameras. Uh, we're doing our velvet scouting or, you know, our scouting throughout the year. Um, in the summertime before the season starts, we're setting up tree stands. We are um, hanging our tree stands. We're trimming shooting lanes. And then that translates into the season where if you're not in a tree stand, you can't kill a deer. So there is the more time that you have to put towards chasing that whitetail all year round, I feel the better odds you will have, or the better, yeah, the better odds you will have of killing your target buck or, or that big buck. I agree. I would make one. Uh, uh, I'm not, <laughs> I would make. I would say one other thing. It is not well. Two things, I guess. Number one, it doesn't always need to be the total amount of time, but how quality the quality of your time too. It requires it does require a lot of time. But if you're limited on time, it's important to think about how to best utilize that time. Smart use yep. of your time. But I want to make a point here of of um, of something that I hear a lot. There's always the people say, I, I can't kill this kind of deer. I can't have that kind of success because I don't have enough time. And I would say almost uh, in every single case, you can make more time. What it comes yeah. down to is prioritize, prioritizing things. And we all need to look, take a look at what our priorities are. And deer hunting doesn't have to be your number one priority. For lots of people, it's not even going to be one of their top priorities at all. And that's okay. Yep. But if you want to be if you want to be targeting mature deer consistently and killing them, if you if that's something that's important to you, you need to start prioritizing that. Now, I'm not I'm not saying you should prioritize it over your family or your job, but there's lots of other things that get in the way of deer hunting if you really want to have success at it. Maybe you you know you don't you say you don't have enough time, but you're going and you're going to hang out in your boat every weekend, or you are spending three hours a night watching you know. You're binge watching House of Cards on Netflix every night, or did that yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I did last week. So <laughs> <laughs> we are guilty as charged. But um, you know, there's there's a whole lot of things that suck up time in our lives, and in many cases, a lot of it isn't that important. So it's it, or it may or may not be, but each one of us has to look and say, okay, how important is deer hunting to me? How important is that? How important is deer hunting success to me? And if it's something that's super important, stop making excuses for why you can't put the time in to do the work for it. Um, that's something I wrote an article about recently. Not recently. I wrote it last year, but I posted it. I think we talked about it last week too. But it's, it's something I think it's that the core of my hunting principle or, or mindset is the the idea of execution and, and prioritizing things. And it's, you know, lots of times we, we talk about, yeah, I, I want that. I want that success. I want that goal. I want that uh, whatever it might be. I want to kill this deer. We'll talk about it all the time. We'll dream about it. We'll tell everyone, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But then oftentimes we find excuses not to put in the work to get to that point. And 
we have to stop doing that. If we want to reach those goals, we have to start prioritizing them, putting the time in, and actually doing the work. Um, and that's something I'll probably mention over and over again as we go through all these different things because it just applies to all of them. So many of our challenges can be overcome if we simply just stop complaining about it and making excuses and just do it. Right. Yep. And I agree 100%. I just want to make, you know, if, if we're looking at an equation here, plus or minus of this category, if you spend more time hunting, you have a better chance of getting the deer you're after. All right. If you spend less time, whether there whether there is an equation or not, you know, or uh, whether there is an excuse or not, let's say a guy ha- can dedicate one week of his vacation to hunting deer. All right, in the rut, and another guy can dedicate two weeks. What I'm saying is, the guy with two weeks is gonna is gonna probably have a better chance because he can he can spend more time. I don't know how many times before I had the job I had now, I got one week vacation. And right as I started patterning patterning a deer, my vacation was over. And I had to, you know, I had to go back to work. And I'm just like, I'm sitting there in, in my office going, oh my God, I know where I want to be right now. And that sucks. And there's a lot of people out there who are like that. So, you know, that's, that's a kind of a harsh reality. And at times it may not be, it, it, it may not seem fair, but a guy who can spend more time in the timber during a hunting season is going to be able to know where the deer are moving, pattern them and, and, you know, narrow down, down that, that spot to, yeah. to, you know, to potentially take that big buck. I, w- I would say I agree with the slight addendum. In that, you know, if you've got two guys and one has one week and one has two weeks, if all other things were equal between them, then I'd say, yes, the guy that has more time is a better opportunity. But there is something to be said about quality versus quantity. Right. So if I'm a guy who doesn't pay attention to any of the details, but I go out there for two weeks. Right. And you compare that to a guy that has one week, but he's really smart about it and he's doing things right and he's paying attention to the details. I bet on the one week guy. So, right. so I'd say all things being equal, assuming you're doing everything else right, 100%. If you have more time, if you can prioritize more time or find more time, that's going to give you a better chance. But right. let's also keep in mind the quality of that time and the quality of your sits and the quality of those hunts too. Right. And and what I'm trying to go for here is an equation. All right, let's say X plus Y equals big buck. All right, X is the variable, you know, and Y stays the same every time. So if the only variable is time, the more time you can spend is going to increase your odds of getting getting that buck, getting yeah. that deer. All right, from, you know, just from a, a purely mathematical standpoint. Being the mathematician that you are, that sounds right. very good. I can count to nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but uh finger jokes but what you said there does make a good point and that's the quality all right so a lot a lot of that can go into the quality of the sit you know like i remember last year cold front came through in mid um mid october and i believe you were hunting and i was sitting in my cubicle and i'm going that son of a gun i wish i was where mark kenyon was right now you know i would rather be anywhere else than in my you know in my cubicle right now. So those people who have that flexibility, you know, that's, that's, a, that's definitely a positive. Absolutely. But, but back to the quality, you know, then we can start throwing in the property. 
Yeah. And we can start throwing in the time of year. You know, we can, and this is where it starts getting crazy because it just, it spirals out way out. And you can go, you can say there's, this affects this, that affects that, you know, and, and, and kind of go, go off on, on so many different, so many different, uh, angles. It's, uh, it's almost impossible to talk about, but <laughs> I, I do, I do feel that there are on these categories that we're talking about ones that can raise that, that, that those odds. Yeah. So we, we've, we've said, okay, you need to establish a realistic goal or criteria for what your target buck is, your big buck. Yep. We've said that it's important to prioritize time. You got to put time into it mm-hmm. and you, and, uh, we need to, you know, give bucks time to get to whatever that target age or size or whatever it might be. Um, you mentioned location, I think really briefly, let's yep. talk about location because I think location is an important part of the big buck equation. Um, and I th- from my standpoint, when I think of location. I think of, you know, the state. I think about yep. the region of a state. I think of then the specific property and yep. anything on that property. And I think all three of those pieces have a dramatic impact on the type of success we can have. Um, so if you'll humor me or do you have a thought on that or do you want, do you want well, to hear? I, I think that you should start because from a whitetail perspective, you've hunted more states than me. And kind of have a better idea of, you know, you, you, I hunt in, you know, I, you know, I don't want to sound cocky, but I hunt in one of the greatest whitetail states in the nation. You hunt in what could possibly be one of the worst whitetail, <laughs> you know, and I don't mean that as a joke or, you know, to, to make people upset, but it's, you know, from every hunter that I've ever talked to who hunts in Michigan, they lead with, yeah, our state sucks to hunt whitetail. In. <laughs> it's, it's difficult. It's got challenges. Yep. So I think you should kick that off as, you know, you've hunted Ohio, you've hunted Iowa, you've, you've hunted Michigan, and that kind of runs the gamut on, on from good to bad. Yeah. In Illinois and Pennsylvania and Nebraska and, oh, Indiana, because I've hit, I've hit a number of them. Um, yep. And so, so yes, I've got some interesting experiences across all that. And so when I think about location, I think there's two things here that you got to think about. First, you can either hunt, you can say, okay, I hunt here, I hunt at home, and that's all I do, and that's all I want to do. So then it's, okay, this is my location here. So it's then finding the best property within that location. Um, And then, you know, adjusting, you know, going back to number one, the first thing we talked about, your big buck criteria or your target buck criteria, realistically set that based on where you are right now. If you choose that you just want to stay where you're at, you're going to live with that, then set realistic expectations. Um, But then there's the other side. If you have a goal of killing five-year-olds that are 150 inches or bigger, if that's what you want to do, then you might need to change your location because you know you cannot kill a big buck that doesn't live where you're hunting. Right. And if where you're hunting doesn't have those deer, you need to go elsewhere if that's something that's important to you. Yep. So um, whatever it, it all is dependent on whatever your goal is. But if your goal is to kill giant antler deer, giant old antler deer, you need to go to one of those states where those deer are you know, more prevalent. You don't need to, but if you want to be having consistent success, that's going to be an important thing to look at. So think about that when you're setting your goals. And then, you know, here's an example. A lot of people, I hear lots of times people saying, oh, you can't kill big bucks if you don't have a lot of money or a great big property or live in one of the big buck states. And I always say, I don't, believe, I don't think that's true. If you're willing to make the tough choices and prioritize this goal, 
you can find a way to get to those big bucks or find a way to see those. So sure, maybe I let, you know, I think I'm a, a decent example of this. I live in Michigan. We have tremendous amount of hunting pressure. I don't have, I don't own any property. I don't have all sorts of money to spend on huge leases. Um, I don't have any of those types of things, but what I just decided is I'm not going to go to vacation different places. I'm not going to go do a bunch of crazy things. I'm not going to buy a big fancy house. I'm going to save money and I'm going to put it towards taking trips to Iowa or Ohio or save up some money and, and buy us, you know, um, I have a small lease that I pay a little bit of money for, but it's affordable. It's something though that, that helps me. It puts me in a location where I can target older deer more consistently. So I decided to prioritize it and I chose a location that fit my goals. So I think that's an important thing is, is, set your goals and then think about your location because you know, you're going to beat yourself up and be pretty unhappy if your goal is to kill a six year old 150 inch buck every year and you hunt a five acre property in the middle of Pennsylvania. Um, so either be realistic about where you're at or go somewhere where you can reach those goals. Exactly. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And, but that's not to say that with a larger chunk of property and you, you know you don't necessarily have to own it but if you want a five-year-old six-year-old larger racked deer the genetics are there in michigan all right you just got to let them get old you know you got to let them get to that you got to let them get to that that age where and, and i'll put it to you this way um a guy who raised deer sam calora i've brought him up on the um um on the podcast before he's actually the, the guy who shot shipwreck. All yep. right. He's raised deer for decades. All right. So this is what he tells me. He says that at the end or during the fourth year of a, of a deer's life, a buck's life, it's skeletal system has reached maturity. All right. It, the bones aren't lengthening anymore. Um, and so it's the skeletal system has stopped growing. All right. So that five and a half year mark, all that energy that was going to create, you know, longer bones, that calcium is now going to the rack. All right. So he says that he's seen, and this is, you know, this is captive deer where you have controlled studies and whatnot. He's seen the biggest jump from the four and a half year old to the five and a half year old age. All right. So there's a little science that may help you. You're like if you want a big buck, you know, you have to be willing to let it get to that to that age. Yeah, that that really is the big thing. Is they they need age. They need to have the opportunity to reach whatever potential it is that they have. Um, and so I think you know to your point, wherever whatever state you live in, if you have access to a property where you can manage it to some degree, yep. you can improve that situation based on smart management and you know trigger control. Yep. Letting deer go. If that's your goal, older deer or bigger deer, whatever your specific goal is, you know, you do have some degree of control on that. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this one before too, but you'll hear guys say, well, if I, if I don't shoot this buck, my neighbor will. Well, sure. Maybe there's, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a chance. Maybe let's say there's a 50, 50 chance. Maybe that buck gets killed on your neighbors possibly. But if you shoot him, there's no chance at all. He survives. He's dead. So yeah. he's got 50%, but he's got much better odds if you let him go. Um, I eat my, I've eaten so many deer tags over the year. I could probably wallpaper a bedroom. <laughs> so, I mean, you gotta, it, it, and I don't even want to talk about it cause it just kind of pisses me off when people say that. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I hear you. And I mean, 
I just want to keep reemphasizing though, like your goals, my goals might not match right. up with others. And that's okay. Everyone can have their right. own goal. And if you're the guy that just wants to kill a deer, yeah, that's okay too, if that's what you want to do. But I think you and me, I think we both agree that when some guy keeps on saying, I want to shoot a big buck, I want to shoot a big buck, I want to shoot a big buck, but then he does that, you know, hey, no excuses. Like You're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. So um, if that's your goal, you got to keep that in mind. So one other quick other point on location I want to make a point about is the actual property itself and getting access to properties. If you want to kill big mature deer, you need to have access to quality properties. And lots of times I've done this and I know people that say, well, I, ha- I hunt the back 50 that I've always hunted or I, my family's got a farm that's uh, 80 acres and that's all I hunt, but I really want to kill a six-year-old deer or I really want to kill a four-year-old deer, whatever it might be. And you know, we all have the ability to access more ground than whatever we have right now. It just takes effort or time or prioritizing our, you know, expendable income, whatever it might be. You can always get access to more properties if you're willing to do the work. It takes a lot of work. You have to knock on doors. You need to talk to people. You need to, you know, trade time or money or effort or whatever it might be. But there's ways to find properties where there are the kinds of deer you want to hunt. You just need to be willing to, to do that work to go get it. But I think it's important to remember either, you know, again, you can't kill a big buck that's not there. So either change your property so that there will be big bucks with habitat improvements and smart management or do the work to go access a property where there are. Um, Do one of those two things. Don't stake with the status quo and complain about it. You know, make the change either way. I would say that's my perspective. Right, right. And and, And you nailed the head. You nailed right on the head. Move, go somewhere else. Or take care of your property, make those adjustments, pass the deer, eat your tags a couple of years, then you're going to start, you know, if you have, if, if you're hunting the back 40, what are you doing to improve that back 40 that deer want to be there? Yeah. Yep. I think it's, there, there's, there's always a way I think yep. is a flat, you know, don't, don't complain or just feel like you're stuck with the status quo, you know? find a way. If it's a goal and it's important to you, there are options. And I think that's something that, you know, I emphasize all the time and I'll keep emphasizing it because it's just so true. It's so simple, but so true. And it applies to deer hunting, um, you know, just as much as anything else. Um, one other important thing related to location and properties is pressure. This is something that I know you'd mentioned in your, in your notes, Dan. Um, give me your thoughts on the importance of pressure, high or low pressure. Right. So, Let's say you are, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll put it this way. Let's say you're loaded rich, okay? Let's say Dan Johnson wins the lottery tomorrow, all right? I'm if, going to say what? I was going to say, if you do, could you give me like 80 acres of access on your 1,000-acre farm, please? I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. All right, just keep, think, keep in mind. I'll think about it. <laughs> so, so I win the lottery tomorrow, right? I'm going to go out and I'm now, I'm, I'm kind of a hypocrite because I'm going to go out, I'm going to buy a gigantic piece of property where I'm not going to let anybody hunt. I'm going to keep the pressure very low or, you know, in, you know, we had that podcast with Lee Lakoski where he's basically conditioned his deer to be used to human interaction, right? So I am going to plant food plots. I'm going to make sure the bedding is to a T. I might even hire Grant Wood personally to come to my property 
and show me exactly what I need to do if money's really not an option, right? This is the perfect scenario. Then hunting season comes, I hunt a field edge, I wait for a big buck to walk by and I kill it. Now that's not even that's not guaranteed, but that scenario right there is is like the highest odds that you could possibly get for you know, uh for any type of scenario, right? Would you agree? Sure. Sure. Okay. So so now what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about pressure. So in everybody else's world, they I'm, I share my hunting property with like three other three or four other hunters, right? And then there, then there's gun season that you know just gets flooded with it. But there are there is pressure involved, all right. And I, I'm gonna say it's medium pressure, okay. And it's not it's not too terribly high where there are hunters hunting the same stands every day for you know 60 days that's not happening on my property but what i've done is i've used other hunters pressure to make my move and find spots where you know these hunters that i share the property with are habit forming they go to the same tree stand that you know their ladder stands they don't they don't move at all they have their same ladder stands every year so I've made my adjustments based off their, them so uh, and on their access routes. So I'm using that negative pressure against me. You know, obviously high pressure equals less success and, and low pressure typically would equal a higher success. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go. But here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Yeah, I think that's, you know, when you drill right down to it, mature deer, big, 
mature deer, old deer do not like hunting pressure, which you right. know, we'll define hunting pressure as human uh, interaction. Yep. They, they, don't, they want to avoid humans as much as possible. So, you know, to your point, if you can minimize that, there's going to be a better chance that there's going to be mature deer there, wherever that is on your hunting property. And if there's the deer spending more time on your property because there's not a lot of hunting pressure, you've got yeah. a much better chance of seeing him and shooting him. Um, right. So, you know, to your, I think, you know, overall when it comes to pressure, you know, killing a big buck or a mature buck, you have to think about pressure. So either you need to, if you control a property, you need to minimize pressure as much as possible because that'll, you know, provide a safe environment for that deer to want to spend time. Or if you don't have the ability to control pressure as much, I mean, you can always control your own. Um, but if you can't control other people's pressure, you need to do what you just said, which is um, adjust to that and either, you know, find those areas that a buck will go because of other people's pressure. So mm-hmm. always keep pressure in mind. That's a, it's, that's a huge variable that impacts how deer, especially mature bucks, behave. And so, you know, we need to be th- thinking about that and thinking about how a buck is reacting to hunting pressure to then, you know, decide what kind of decisions we're going to make from a hunting standpoint. So it's a, it's a super important part of the equation, I think. Um, and, you know, there is a, there is a, there is a certain amount of pressure that deer will tolerate, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know how many times, you know, on, on working farms. This year I sat up in, in a new location on one of the farms and there was deer walking right in the middle of horses and right in the middle of cattle and they felt very comfortable with that because that's what they're used to. Um, then when you dive down into it and you're setting up a tree stand in the middle of the rut, that kind of pressure and you're bumping deer from their beds, that kind of pressure is, is what I would consider negative. It's a, they're conditioned to accept a certain amount of it anything more is when you start tipping the ladders you know tipping the the teeter-totter towards that negative end yeah i think it's definitely i think uh to your point the type of pressure is very different so like Mm -hmm. deer get used to certain things just like you said like a farmer on the tractor stuff like that and then also i think it's also dependent on the area um i i'm a firm believer that a deer in iowa will react to hunting pressure differently than a deer in michigan um, I'm, I'm very confident in that the deer react differently to pressure uh, or to, to greater degrees based on the interaction. Uh, because, you know, let's say in Iowa, um, you know, there's, I think the numbers, I, I don't know, a couple, 1.8 hunters per square mile in Iowa. I think something like that, that that's not the right number, but it's very low. And then right. you look at a state like New York where there's 10 hunters per square mile or somewhere around there, those deer in New York associate human pressure with getting shot at a lot more than a deer in Iowa because there's just not as much hunting pressure, even though it's localized, it's different everywhere, but in general there's differences. And so I think, you know, keeping that in mind that in certain areas, hunting pressure will have a a dramatically different effect um, than in other areas. It's always going to have an impact. It's always going to be important, but it it has varying levels. So you might be able to get away with one thing that a guy in Pennsylvania might not be able to get away with. So it's just, you got to understand your area. Yep. And then, yeah, you nailed it on the head there again. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, Mark. <laughs> That's uh, so glad to hear. So you have my approval. Good. That's all. That's all I really ever wanted, Dan. That's all I ever wanted. Um, all right. So I'm I'm looking through here. What are the things we've got here in the equation? We've got criteria, realistic goals. We've got thinking through the geog- the location. We've talked about the specific properties. We've talked about putting in the time. We've talked about understanding the importance of pressure. Um, 
I think the next big thing that that I that I before would want to hit move, on yeah? before we move on. Yeah. All right. And I, I don't know if this is where you were going or not, but I want to elaborate on the property thing one more time. Sure. Or just a little, just a little bit more. And in the notes here, it says big versus small, private versus public. All right. So the worst case scenario is a small piece of public land that is high, has high pressure, right? And some people would think that a large piece of private property with no pressure would equal a greater success for killing a big buck. In a way, yes. But here's, here's what I've found over a small over over the years a big piece of low pressure hunting property could could at some point be very could be difficult to hunt and what i mean by that is all right so i use a lot of trail cameras but i don't have a trail camera to cover every pinch point every um you know ridge every field so at some point, you have to start making decisions on where you're going to hunt. A large property offers you more decisions. All right, as opposed, let's say 300 acres as opposed to 25 or 30 acres. Right, you're limited to that 25 acres. If it's a good, if it's good, you have the you have the quality of deer that you want. At some point during the rut, a deer is going to work his way potentially work his way through that 25 acres. Right, you just have to be in the stand for that. Now, what issues we faced me and Ryan faced this year for a larger piece of property that I, that I have the ability to hunt or it's several properties that kind of all run into each other but the large piece of property means I have to make more decisions and I'm spending more time you know thinking in my head do I need to should I hunt here should I hunt here should I hunt here so just because a property is big doesn't necessarily mean that it's better to hunt I'm going to respectfully disagree. Okay. So I will say it may be easier to hunt. Okay. A smaller property, like, or what you're saying is that a proper, you know, having a limited number of options might be easier to hunt. And by easier, I mean, it just makes it easier for someone personally, because like you said, you don't need to make as many decisions. You're limited on what you can do and where you can go. Right. And a larger property might be more challenging to hunt. Because you have right. so many options and so many decisions to make, and it's hard to say, oh, ah, shoot, I could hunt seven different stands with this wind direction. Right. There's eight different great pinch points I could hunt on November 5th. So I would say it's challenging. Yes. But my personal opinion, just me, just me, but I would take a larger property every day over the smaller property because I want those options. And if you're willing to, if you're willing to deal with the challenge of making those decisions, I think hands down, if you have more options f- to find the right choice, it's going to give you a, a better opportunity at killing a buck. Now, it's not always going to be easier. It's not always going to make things simple. But I personally would still, I would rather have the big nasty challenge of all the decisions and have those options than be limited to just the 40 acres where, hey, there's only one stand to hunt. And yes, it makes it easy to make the decision. I know yeah. that's the one I'm going to hunt. But I, for me personally, I'd rather have the challenging options. That's just me. Right. No, I, and I agree. It's just... The, and from my perspective this year, so all the deer are in one area, right? And we're, we're waiting for this deer to come through. He came through. Then that area dried up, okay? So now we have the task of, you know, going in and finding, I don't know. I guess, I guess the lay of the land has a lot to do, to do with it as well. 
if you're in the if you're in the right 40 acres i mean all you really need is one tree and a shooting lane however many however many feet that takes up to kill a buck that's really all you need but it has to be in that right location yeah i absolutely agree with that the right i i, I so i'll say this i'm um adding on to that i would depending on the type of property i would rather have a really good 40 acre section than a mediocre 120 acre um, I will say the quality of that, the, the type of land or the lay of the land or something like that, I would rather have quality than quantity. But if, if, yep. if quality is the same for both of them, like if they both have great pinch points or they, or they both have great whatever, I would rather have the larger because I have the options. But I 100% agree with you when it comes to you know having the right piece because, yeah, absolutely, if you've got a 20-acre piece that's a pinch point in between two terrific properties on either side, you probably can kill a great buck every year because you've got the right 20. And um, that's an important thing to think about when you're out there looking for access or looking to buy or looking to lease is thinking about the quality of that land. What does it have going for it? Don't just get something because it's really big. Think about the other elements and factors that can make that property quality hunting. Right, and the perfect example of that is my property in Iowa versus your property in Ohio, right? Yeah. Your your property. How many acres is your lease in Ohio? Ninety acres of which. Ninety acres of which those ninety acres, about forty five of it is wide open crop field. So there's really only right. like forty forty five acres of huntable land. It's like two draws, right? Yep. Two draws and maybe a fence line or something. Yep. Okay. So here, so that that piece right there, and and all the trail camera pictures that you have of that of that, uh, all the deer in that where you shot draw breaker compared to my 400 some acres of working farm, cattle, horses, other hunters. Um, you're, you're going to, my opinion is that you're going to have better success of intercepting a deer as you did this year, as opposed to my 400 acres that I can hunt in just, I guess a, diff- a different scenario. Yeah, and I think exactly. I think it's because it's the right it's the right forty five acres. Right. right. It's it's a it's a perfect scenario um, that makes this property so good. It's a it's essentially a pinch point between two really great big sanctuaries. And I've got some sanctuary areas where there's not any hunting going on. I've got people that manage around me along with what we're doing on our property. So it's it's the right piece. So I think it's right. a really important thing to think about is, is finding the right property, not necessarily the biggest property or the easy property or whatever it is. Right. right. And the only way to find that out is to hunt it and, and do your research and, and gain that knowledge. Yeah. I think that's a lot, a lot of it. I mean, you can figure some things out based on maps, right? You can yes. get some ideas, but a lot of it, like you said, is, is learning a property, um, whether on the ground or from other people, um, you know, find out about the neighborhood. I think the, the, the neighbors of a property are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're hunting small properties. Um, you know, if, if you're trying to hunt mature deer, but every property all around you, they all exclusively shoot every single deer they see. Well, you're gonna have a hard time reaching that goal on that property. So right. you might want to think about, you know, when you're looking to buy land or lease land, you know, talk to the neighbors around there, find out what they're doing and see if they're on the same page with you. Yes, sir. So what's next? So I think for me, the next one is, is what I would think is the final piece. Um, and what I think is the most important piece. I mean, it relates to everything else we talked about a little bit. Um, and feel free to jump in if you think there's something else we didn't cover here. But I think this uh, t- covers a lot of the other things. And that's um, effort. And yeah. underneath underneath effort, I would lump 
the time you put into it, your preparation, your execution, um, all those things fall into, or your, in your knowledge, your knowledge of hunting, all those things for me falls underneath effort. Um, because for me, and again, we talked about a couple of times, it's prioritizing things. So how important is this to you? And it's, it's okay if it's not that important, if you just want to go out for fun, that's all right. But for the, you know, maybe there's 50% of you, or really for our audience, most of our audience here at Wired to Hunt are the ones who take deer hunting very seriously. So probably 80% of the people listening to this take deer hunting super, super seriously. We have high standards and goals when we're hunting these deer. So if that's our goal, the most important thing I think is to then put the appropriate amount of effort, time, preparation, and research into it. So that means never stopping learning. Um, you know, always learning more, always, you know, reading more about deer, more finding new ideas, finding new strategies, under looking at people's success, kind of reverse engineering how these people had success, looking at the different things they did and trying to find ways to apply that to what you're doing. Um, so knowledge is something really important. I don't, uh, for me, you, you never want to stay stagnant. You never want to just stick with what's comfortable. Always push yourself to learn more, always push yourself to improve. Um, and then number two, though, which is, I think, almost even more important, and um, maybe it's the rarer of the two, excuse me, I'm about to have a hiccup here, Yeah, is this. I think a lot of us are pretty decent at learning. And, and by that, I mean like a lot of us go and we read North American Whitetail or we read Deer and Deer Hunting or we read Wired to Hunt or we go to different websites or blogs or we read books we watch TV shows, we consume a lot of deer hunting related content, right? You do, I do, um, and a lot of our listeners do. I would say, though, that the percentage of people that actually implement and take action on a lot of the things they read about is much, much smaller. Right. And that's the case across everything. I mean, if you're talking about business people, there's lots of people that read lots of great business books or, you know, do a lot of, you know, listening about great business tactics or strategies, but it's a much, much smaller number of people that actually do the work and take the action to implement. And I think that's the most important, in my opinion, one of the most important things is just taking action. We've talked this whole big buck equation, all these different things, right? Most of us, we know these things. These are general ideas that a lot of us know and understand, but how many of us are actually really doing the work to, to, to take action on these different things. Are you, you know, doing as much work as you possibly can to get access to the properties that you want to hunt? Are you knocking on 15, 20 doors a year, or are you just complaining that you don't have anywhere to hunt this year? Uh, you know, are you going and fixing all your tree stands every year to improve them? You know, you want to move them. You know, you should be in this bedding area. You know, you should have a stand in that funnel, but are you getting to the summer and saying, ah, oh, geez, it's hot out. I'd rather go to the boat. Or are you going in there and actually doing the work and making those changes and sweating and getting, you know, nicked up with burrs and getting tick bites and actually putting in the time and effort? Yep. For me, I think that is the greatest difference between the guys that just hunt deer and sometimes have success, sometimes don't, and the guys and you know, guys and girls who go out there and consistently kill target bucks, mature deer, whatever it is their goals. That's for me, I think that's the biggest difference. There's sure there's lots of things, but the ones that really actually take the action and actually do the work and prioritize this, those are the people that have consistent success. That's my overall thesis and like my my big overall like um just belief system about deer hunting yep. success. Um yep. everything else falls underneath that for me. What what are your thoughts on that, Dan? You know, 
I'll put it to you this way. My family comes first over everything. Okay. But whitetail hunting comes first for as, as far as hobbies and everything else. I don't golf. I don't have a boat. I don't, um, spend money doing, going to, you know, concerts or spending money doing on, you know, other, other activities. I am obsessed with whitetails. All right. I, I turkey hunt because I can't whitetail hunt. I fish because I can't whitetail hunt or do, you know, it's, I can't, you literally can't do, unless you had your own property, you can't do something with whitetails every day. So I have these other things that keep me busy, but my mind is 100% on whitetails all the time. I'm always looking at maps. I'm always trying to figure out what the next, you know, what the next best tree stand location is. I'm knocking on doors. You know, I have access right now to, um, somewhere, somewhere close to 500 acres. Okay. That I can hunt. That's, that's a lot. And that's in, in a good piece of, um, in a, in a good area where there's good deer, but that doesn't mean anything. Okay. As if you want to be, uh, if you want to be a big buck killer, you have to, you have to have access to all the property and scout all the property. So you can find that next big deer. You have to be in the right spot at the right time is basically what I'm trying to is trying to get at. And if you if you limit yourself from not having, you know, not knocking on that door, yeah, they're gonna tell you no. But if they tell you yes, guess what? You just gained, you know, however many more acres to put that piece of the puzzle together to harvest that big deer. You know, it, and I think what we're getting at here is stop being lazy. You know, you have to you have to say, is this what I want to do or not? Me and you, Mark, we're crazy about it. This is what we want to do. Yeah, hundred percent agree. It's it's exactly that. And I told you, there's gonna be some people listening here who say, well, I do really want to fish. I do really want to turkey hunt. I really do want to go to concerts with my wife in the Bahamas, yep. and that's okay. If that's what you want to do, that's okay. Um, but if your goal is to consistently kill big deer, mature deer, and that's super, super important. If that is the priority that you and me place it at, which is, you know, underneath our family, faith, whatever it is, yeah. um, if it's right up there near the top, you need to walk the walk. You can't just talk yeah. the talk. It, you have to start taking action and doing the work and sacrificing some things. And um, that's what it comes down to. I think it, all these different criteria we've talked about, none of them mean anything if you don't actually take action on it and do the work. So, yeah. And the th- reason, and the reason that I, that I, I do all those do things the way that I do is because I would love to go to a concert in the Bahamas or on a vacation, but I don't have, I don't have that money. Right. So every dollar I spend has to be efficient because trail camera batteries cost money, mineral costs money, arrows cost money, hunting license and tags cost money, travel to get to Idaho costs money. So for me, it, it, it all revol- revolves around money because money, you have to have money to do it. You have to have money, whether it's a little bit of money to have the bare necessities or a lot of money to have all the bells and whistles. Money is very important and not just in hunting, but, but every decision you make in life. Are you, you want that, that big house with the extra bedroom and master bath or, 
or do you want that, you know, the house that is going to do you just fine, but now you have that other a dollar amount to have a lease every year. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you don't need a ton of money, but you just need to prioritize your money and your spending decisions to allow you to to get whatever bare minimum you need to reach whatever your goals are. Um, right. And I think that's the big thing. Like I hear so many people say, well, I can't travel last day because I don't have enough money. But just like to your point, you know, well, what if you gave up your Starbucks every day? Or what if you stop drinking $40 a bush light every night? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that too. So it's, it's just, you got to make choices, figure yeah. out what's important for you. And if, you know, if this, this stuff we're talking about, if that's really one of the most important things for you, you know, just stop making excuses and start making choices that, you know, lead down that path. So I think that's it. I think, uh, I don't know. I think for me that those are the high level pieces of the equation. Yes. There's a million different little things underneath it, all the strategies and tactics and tips and all that, but at a super high level, these five or six different large variables, if you think about these things, consider these things, factor them into your decision-making process, and then prioritize it, give it the time and effort needed, you can have success killing big bucks or mature bucks or whatever your target is. You can do it. Yep, I agree. And, you know, finishing, finish what you start. That's that's important too. Don't, you know, don't go half-ass into something. You know, don't, don't, don't hit a barrier or a wall and then... Oh God, this is hard. I don't, I'm tired. I don't want to move my tree stand. You know, you just lost. Yeah, absolutely. So true. That's a, a great principle just in general in life, but very, um, relevant to deer hunting, mature deer. Um, And, And although me and you are very serious about deer hunting, fun, man, you know, and you know, I think you mentioned that, that there's different levels of fun, but you got to have fun because if you're not having fun and you're, you're killing yourself and you're doing it for a reason, Hey, I got to shoot a bigger deer than my buddy. Well, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yes. That's, that is a perfect way to end this podcast. I think Dan, cause that's yep. so important. We, we, so important across all these things. We've talked about our goals and all the different work and time and effort and all these things that go into it. And it's great to have those goals and to pursue them. Uh, but in the very end, if you're not enjoying yourself doing this and if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, it's all worthless. Right. So and that's why, that's why you quit modeling for Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> Cause you weren't having fun. How, how do you manage to bring that into this conversation? Zinga, gotcha. <laughs> you gotta bring it up. No one mentioned it online this week. So I figured I'd meant I'd, I'd no, bring it up. No, they did, man. They did mention it. When I posted the article about the outdoor life cover, there were several people. Someone was like, oh, so the Abercrombie cover or the Abercrombie catalog wasn't good enough for you anymore. <laughs> and uh, someone else thought, oh, I thought Men's Health was going to be next for you. Or uh, I got else. It's... You, you can edit this out if you want, but I'd leave it in because I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, this is, uh, this is in it. This will be in it, and I'll, I'm sure I'll get hell about it. So. And, and one last thing, though, on a serious note is – I would love, you know, me and you to finish this conversation with the listeners out there. Ask us questions, you know, send us emails, um, you know, even if it's on Facebook or something, you know, I, we would we would love to hear your scenarios because that what that's what makes this this podcast run is you guys. So, 
um, the more, you know, more questions we can answer for you or, you know, say, Hey, you guys forgot about this. We need to learn too. So absolutely. So true. That is a huge thing. We, you know, you and me, we are by no means are we the end all experts on this. Of course, we, we've said that a million times. We want to learn more too. So I, I think it's a great idea, Dan. How about this? If you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know, me and Dan said some great things, but you're thinking of another important point or two or another couple of variables that we didn't mention at all. Will you please share that with us? Share that with the rest of the Wired to Hunt community so we can all see that and learn from that too. And the best the best way to do that is go to wiredtohunt.com slash episode 48. That'll take you to the blog post for this episode. And leave a comment on that blog post and just say, you forgot about the importance of water sources or whatever it might be. Whatever the thing is that's on your mind right now that we didn't mention that you think would be important for other hunters to know, write us that comment. And then, you know, five days from now or 10 days from now, when 20 of you have all added your comments or more, however many of you want to add something, we'll all be able to look back at that and say, wow, here's a whole bunch of other really good things to consider because there are a lot of other things out there. Um, so, yeah, we would love to hear from you. Go to wired2hunt.com slash episode 48 and leave us a comment with any other thoughts that you think people should keep in mind related to the big buck equation. And I would say, how about this? We will look at all those comments. And then on the next episode, um, the next one or two episodes, we're going to revisit this to some degree, maybe in a couple of weeks, and we'll read some of your additional comments on the air for the whole podcast to hear. Perfect. So I think that is a good place to wrap things up. Dan, what do you think? Well, let's call her quits. All right. Then, as I mentioned already, I'll say it one more time. Go to wiredtohunt.com slash episode 48. Leave your comment. And then also we'll have links to different things that have been on Wired to Hunt or Dan's blog, the Nine Finger Chronicles that are related to this. We'll link to those so you can get more information. Um, go there and we'll, we'll have everything you need to know. Also, as we always say, if you've been enjoying the show, you head over to iTunes and leave us a review. That would be super helpful. Um, it comes in really handy when new people are you know, f- trying to find a hunting podcast. If they see that there's reviews about the Wired to Hunt podcast, it's going to encourage them to give it a listen to try it out. And I hope that you found this helpful. And if you found it helpful, there's probably another hunter out there that would too. And your review can help them find it, learn new things about deer hunting, and have more success in the future. So help those guys and girls out. Finally, we would also like to thank our partners who help make this show possible. Big thank you to Sitka Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Huntsoft, Lacrosse Boots, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And of course... Also, thank you to you. You guys make the show possible. And, you know, whatever a quote-unquote big buck is to you, if your goal is to chase one, I hope you'll put in the time and effort and the hard work to make that a reality. So keep on grinding, work hard, and as always, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. 
Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.